Jerry. What is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Huh? Try B8654 3 Moscow. Yes, sir. You would never have found him through his office, Mr. President. Our Premier is a man of the people, but he is also a man, if you follow my meaning. <laughs> what did you say? I said Premier Kissov is a degenerate atheist. Mr. Communist. President, I formally request that you have this ignorant I'm sorry, Mr. President. I think they're trying the number. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. That's a straw, you see. Watch it. And my straw reaches across the room. Starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Is it actually the, the way it's printed on the album? Arabic. It's ancient Arabic. I happened to stumble upon a book who you should read. It's called Book of Lies, Alistair Crowley. You'll love it. And Psalm 69, the album, is this a new musical direction for you? You kind of honed ministry down to you and Paul. It seemed like in the more down moments for ministry and Al around Dark Side of the Spoon time or a little, a little earlier, he uh, was more sensitive and angry at times at people who had clearly learned a lot from how he made what he makes and kind of stole his thunder in the commercial arena at one time or another. Um, he told me that he actually had to pay out several thousand dollars to somebody who sued him for uh, punching him in the face when the guy mistook him for Rob Zombie. And I can see why Al was a little upset when Astro Creek 2000 came out and there's uh, Rob looking uh, more like Al than he ever had, complete with a very similar hat and all. I wonder how he feels about Johnny Depp. What do you think about the pretty rock and roll stars? Good luck to them if they're pretty. Wish I was. Do you get mad if, if a band copies your style? No. Good luck to them. Maybe they'll do something we can copy later. Why did you get into rock and roll in the beginning? Because I noticed that you got lots of girls. But I don't think people take girls seriously in this sort of music. I don't know why that is. I am actually an alcoholic now, I guess. I think I'm probably uh, about four on the Richter scale of alcoholism. Did rock and roll do it to you? Well, yeah, I guess it did because we got a free bottle backstage every show, you see, so... I mean, you don't want to leave, you know, the last quarter of the bottle, so you tend to finish it up, you know. I think a lot of people look to people in show business, or anybody who's famous, to model their lifestyle on. So, uh, if you're modeling your lifestyle on somebody and it turns out that they died on smack, that's not very clever, see? What's the biggest audience you ever played for? Well, was, that would be in, probably in Hungary. How many people? 27,000. Well, the first time you break through to an audience and they all go nuts. That's better than screwing, you know, that's better. That's the best. What do you think about kids that want to try to make it? Well, that's what I did. Why not? Go for it. If you think you got it, shove it out, run it up the flagpole and see who salutes it.
Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Tonight, I promise you, we're just going to talk about why my show is different than other shows. I always try to give you a promise, play you a clip, and just talk about why it's important. That, of course, is Lemmy Kilmeister from the band Motorhead. We're talking about authenticity. You could also say that about Al Jorgensen of Ministry. Oh, my goodness, Al. And the clips that I just played for you. I don't just put shows together for the sake of putting them together. I put them together because they need to be put together. I was thinking long and hard about how other podcasts, they, you know, they give you their true crime and their conspiracies. And I'm just here giving you film and music and media. That's what I'm giving you. But see, I don't just give it to you, like I said, for the sake of giving it to you. It's because these things matter. Why do they matter? If you think of art and if you think of music and you think of film and you think of this age that we live in where everything is accessible on these devices, some people hate it. Some people love it. I know when to turn it off. Now, the up-and-coming generations don't, and, and it can be dangerous putty in their hands. That's why I don't do a video podcast. I do a regular podcast. Those of you who have seen A Christmas Story, what is Ralphie doing? Ralphie is listening to a radio program with his brother. Because television had, I mean, television was years away wasn't here yet and so as a podcaster I'm fully aware of that that the voice translates so much when you record it when you record it you just and I'm not talking about I've said this time and time again a review can break or make someone if you review a film that you didn't like that's going to break someone it's going to break them emotionally, metaphorically, and physically. The same with music. So I just talk about things that I love. I talk about things that I love and things that matter. The authenticity of the music of Ministry and Tool and Motorhead matters. The authenticity of music like NWA matters. Cypress Hill. There's an authenticity to Cypress Hill because also at the time they were rapping about marijuana and now we have dispensaries everywhere. They even have a dispensary called Dr. Green Thumb. So that's what I'm all about is the authenticity behind these great works of art, music and film. This is an interesting time where we're watching all these movies and streaming and downloading. And even television. Television is a cinematic world now. I just, I'm almost done watching Succession season two. That is cinematic on a scale that most films can't even capture because it keeps bringing you back. For the four years that I've been doing this show, I like to just bring people in. I've had people ask me, well, how many followers do you have? 
And I just kind of chuckle and think, that's not what it's about. What it's about is if I've reached one person, that's my audience. Because we all have an audience. And I was thinking of that. There's a Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is such a great movie. And there's a little boy whose his name is Podcast. And he finds out that Ray, played by Mr. Dan Aykroyd, is his listener. He's reached him. That's his that's his moment. If a bunch of people said, Where are your listeners? That's overwhelming. But if one person says to you, I listen to the show and I love it. And so whenever Jason Almy drops my name, thank you. Thank you. And the feel, feeling is mutual because I've learned so much from him. I've learned so much from Christina Almy, from Jay, uh, Chris Wetzky and Adam Simmons. It really takes a village to bring these things together. It really does. We have the vision, but see, it's really about word of mouth. That's the other thing. I can hashtag this show all I want, but the fact that I have word of mouth and I tell people about this show and I have them, they have access to it. You have access to this intimate time that we spend together daily. There aren't a lot of podcasts that record daily. Who has the time? Even during my crazy work days, I have the time. So the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast will be celebrating its fourth year in March of 2022. I intend to continue this show for as long as possible. Whether it gains national platform, I feel it already has. Just by the one listener. And then I probably have one listener in other countries. Canada. United Kingdom, Germany. I know I that's interesting, but not surprising to me that I have an audience in Germany because I do talk about German expressionism, which is a very dominant film form, as is French expressionism. So film and music, they have this beautiful language that we all talk to, that we that it gravitates to our, to us music in its own form and then beaut- and then music films documentaries documentaries to me are probably the dominant form of film because when you've exhausted all possibilities of a narrative your narrative is realism not reality because then that's reality TV and I don't do reality TV but documentaries are the dominant form. I like documentaries that provoke. And 20 years ago, a documentary came out and it provoked people. I don't think all I don't think any of you learned anything from this documentary. It was about gun violence I learned a lot from it the documentary itself is about a very dark time in our history very dark 
I was in high school when this all went down. It's always good to go to the source. You're going to love me or hate me for this. I don't care. But I've always enjoyed the films of Mr. Michael Moore. And 20 years ago, Bowling for Columbine came out. And it really ripped the head off of many people. And they had to see through a new pair of eyes. I couldn't imagine bowling for Columbine without being able to actually see the violence that was being done in that school by Eric Harrison, Dylan Klebold. But what nobody had heard were those 911 calls. We got those in sort of a roundabout way from the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department in Littleton. And those calls weren't really supposed to be heard. So he's still under an attack? Yes, sir. The school is still under attack. We got a couple kids out in the hall that are shot, so they're trying to get to them. And do not let anybody else in until we tell them to. There was a file on the disc that they sent our way, and it wouldn't open. It just wouldn't play. And it turned out that it was encrypted, and somebody on our staff was able to decrypt it. And so we were able to marry that audio with the surveillance footage of the kids going through the school, and it ended up making for that incredibly powerful sequence set against the instrumental version of, of Marilyn Manson's fight song. And the school is in a panic, and I'm in the library. I've got students down under the table, kids. Heads under the table. I think we all thought that by making a profound film about gun violence, and specifically in this case about this the school shooting, that this would prevent this from becoming a thing. We really hoped that this movie would force the country to examine who we are and why we do this. And clearly, a lot of people saw it. It broke the previous box office record for a documentary three times over. And I think we hoped something good would come out of it. What came out of it was then nearly two more decades of Columbine after Columbine after Columbine, and then even more kids killed in Virginia Tech, in Parkland, Florida, etc. It becomes a little debilitating as a filmmaker that if the goal is to try and affect change, and that change doesn't come, especially if it doesn't come right away, but sometimes it takes a while. And hopefully now we're at a point where maybe something's going to happen. That's Michael Moore, the director, the producer of Bowling for Columbine. It's a moment. It's a moment. I remember the first time I watched it. It was shocking. It was provocative. And that's what a documentary does. A documentary makes you think. It makes you discuss it. Michael Moore is really good at that. He's also good at controversy. And I like controversy. And in 2003, Michael Moore won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Subject. Bowling for Columbine. Michael Moore and Michael Donovan. This is the first Academy Award and nomination for Michael Moore and Michael Donovan.
uh, behalf of our producers, Kathleen Glenn and Michael Donovan from Canada, um, I'd like to thank the Academy for this. I've invited uh, my fellow documentary nominees on the stage with us. And we would like to, they are here, they are here in solidarity with me because we like nonfiction. We like nonfiction and we live in fictitious times. We live in a time where we have fictitious election results that elects a fictitious president. We, we live in a time where we have a man sending us to war for fictitious reasons, whether it's the fictition of duct tape or the fictitious of orange alerts. We are against this war, Mr. Bush. Shame on you, Mr. Bush. Shame on you. And anytime you've got the Pope and the 66 against you, your time is up. That was a moment in 2003. People booed. Was that the beginning of the great division that we're all in now? Not as much as you think about it. But then, see, when you're in the middle of a division and then you think 20 years later, whoa, whoa. As a country, we have a lot to learn. We are still very much a young country. I've talked to so many people about that on both ends of the spectrum who have all said to me, we've gone to other countries and they look at us and they are appalled. They are appalled. They all, we're also the laughing stock of the world. Yes, this is, a, this is a film and music podcast, but I'm telling you, that's why I do this. To provoke, to make you watch these films, to talk about this music, whether you like it or not. Talk about Bowling for Columbine. The vision that Michael Moore had. He still has a vision that can continue for years to come. And I know a lot of my listeners, oh my God, you're talking about Michael Moore. Why wouldn't I talk about Michael Moore? It has nothing to do with if you're liberal or conservative. And I know a lot of conservatives that actually like Michael Moore and likes Bowling for Columbine. And then I know a lot of liberals who don't like Michael Moore and didn't like Bowling for Columbine. So really, it cuts both ways if you look at it. And so that's why I do this podcast. It's, it's like the American Film Institute. The American Film Institute used to just piss people the fuck off. Not me, because then it would... I was very new to classic films. And, okay, they're saying that Citizen Kane is the top film of all time. Okay, but what about The Godfather? Oh, that's number two. What about Gone with the Wind? Oh, who knows what that... What about Shawshank Redemption? Shawshank Redemption is, like, at the bottom. So, really... It's a matter of taste. Because in your mind, you could say, well, okay. Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush is probably the greatest film of all time. In my mind, I could say on a good day, anti-mame. Because of how it makes me feel. Anytime I see it, I watch it. Those are the films that really are the greatest of all time. 
you can pick up where you left off if you stumble upon it on television. Raise your hand if you've done that before and you turn on the TV. There's Shawshank Redemption. And no matter where you are in it, you sit and you watch it. And you marvel at it. Or Dr. Zhivago. Um, You know, we all have a top five. We all have a top ten. We all have a top twenty. I have so many. Those that I just mentioned. And then the ones that I didn't like. The Seventh Seal. Dr. Zhivago. Lawrence of Arabia. Fargo. The Godfather. You know, this year is the 50th anniversary of The Godfather. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. And strangely enough, I know people who have never even seen The Godfather. That is shocking. They're all about family. They're all about a really great drama. But they've never seen The Godfather. And The Godfather, that story is as American as apple pie. Because we are a land of immigrants. See how I did that? We're a land of immigrants. And that tells a story of everyone. They're coming here for a different a different way of life. In Vito Corleone's case, Vito Andolini, it's to escape being killed. His brothers were killed. His mother was killed. And he comes here and he stares at that Statue of Liberty. And that is a moment. And that's what film is. It's a moment. We all have those moments. I didn't talk about the Betty White documentary on here because I watched it and I thought, where have I seen this before? Oh, it's basically the 2018 PBS documentary spliced together with other clips. That's really fucked up. But, you know, when someone dies, okay, people rush. They rush. And the art suffers. If you look at Tool, they don't rush. Does the art suffer? No. Look at Sade. I know, I just mentioned Tool and Sade in the same breath, but hey, hear me out. They don't rush it. Sade, that band, and it is a band, has not put an album out since 2010. So we're patiently waiting as they patiently take their time to chisel chisel it out because great art, it must be chiseled out. You rush through it and it's a fucking mess. Often I've asked, do I ever run out of things to talk about? No, because life is ever changing and ever present. When you do a podcast, there are so many different things. If it was live, I would love it even better because of all the mistakes. Because life is filled with mistakes. Everyone does their podcast differently. Some people want to edit out the mistakes. I don't do that. I keep them in. I think it's best to keep it in. To show that you're human. Beyonce, I'm talking about you. Who doesn't like to make mistakes as a performer. But all performers... The really great ones make mistakes. It shouldn't always be immaculate. Adele, I'm talking about you too. 26K. (sighs) People would just be happy with her sitting on a stool singing. That's my opinion. 
So when I do these podcasts, some some of it is opinion and some of it is factual where you have to do your homework. And the other night I did a show on Andre Leontali's documentary, The World, The Gospel According to Andre. And he talked about that when they were eulogizing him on television, how you must do your homework. And a lot of people who listen to this show or know me have said, oh, you know, you sound like you don't do your homework. Oh, I do my homework. It's all in my head. Because I had painstakingly thought, okay, I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to do osmosis to everything. And then what happens is if I'm searching for something, that's like searching for the lines. Great actors sometimes have to search for that dialogue. And as a podcaster and as a host, sometimes I have to search for it. So it doesn't really have to be perfect. I remember someone said that to me. Oh, you know, maybe you should write things down and maybe you should investigate more and do more of your homework. And I'm thinking, you don't do a podcast. Why would I listen to you? There are some people like that that I know. And if I mention their names, their feelings would probably be hurt. So I don't do that. Or when I tell people to listen to the show and then I don't get a response back of what they thought of it. That's fine. It just makes me work harder. Not so much to appease them, but to appease myself. Because this is what I do. This is not my day job. But in my heart, it is my day job to talk to all of you. To do the Dr. Zeus film podcast. So, watch Bowling for Columbine. Talk about it. Analyze it. Don't look into it as, oh my God, conspiracy theories, conspiracy theories. Nothing against conspiracy theories. And as I've said before, they're a a fun form of uh, campfire stories to scare people. But aren't you tired of living in fear? Are you tired of living in fear? Thinking of aliens or lizard people. Maybe they're nice people. The magic bullet. The grassy knoll. Atlantis underneath. Live in this present. Watch these films. Scream at the TV if you want to. That's a reaction I'm sure that Michael Moore would love. But here at the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, I'm here to just give you my assessment of what's good, what's interesting, what's thought-provoking, and what is essentially a masterpiece. Unpleasant dreams.